What up, Excel? Woo it is. Woo it is. Hey, guys, we, uh, man, how many weeks are we? Two weeks away? Two weeks away from this year's Spring Breakaway. After two years MIA, we are back. We are taking over Camp Hickory again, and we are locked and loaded. Uh, tomorrow, I know we're going to announce the speaker and some guests and stuff, so make sure that you're checking out the social media so you can get a little bit of that info. But, man, I am just pumped, and I think we got 50-plus so far now that are registered and ready to go. And so if you have not... Please get on that. Uh, again, you can just grab the link right off. Of, I don't know if that's there. No, where's, the, where's my QR code? There it is. You can grab the, the QR code right there. You could register if you haven't. If you need help financially, please do not worry about that. People are giving us money left and right to make sure that you can go. If you got a friend that you know would benefit from this and is interested in going, hey, now is a great time to get like Anthony and the rest of them people, boy. Now is the time to get your friends, everyone from PSAR, get, to, get that whole Christian club. I'm down for everybody because I believe God's going to move in that. And so I just want to encourage you guys. You got two weeks. Let's make sure we get on it. With that being said, on April 14th, we will not have Excel because we will be leaving here for breakaway. And so let's just make sure you're all a part of that. If you show up expecting for Excel, um, we might just kidnap you, but I'll call your mom just to make sure it's cool, okay? Uh, so we want to make sure that everybody goes. Now, one of my favorite things about that retreat, and even like Camp Hickory, is I feel like every time we as a group go and we're in that place and we're in this moment where we prepared ourselves to engage in even what we just had right now in the time of worship, I always feel like it's up a notch a little bit there. I think part of it is because we go into that moment in a different mental state. You know, we go into that moment prepared. We go into that moment expecting to receive something from God and expecting to encounter God. But I, I want to talk to you a little bit about that word worship, because I, it's a, a word that's not always used, but it's something that every single one of us has been intrinsically built to do. All of us are built to worship, and all of us worship something at one time or another. Everybody in this room worships something or has worshiped something or expresses worship in some way or some form. You might worship a particular sports team. You might worship a band. You might worship a particular show. And some of us are like, well, no, I wouldn't worship. Listen, if you've seen 900 episodes of that show, you worship that show, okay? I'm sorry. If you will pay upwards amount of money to go see that concert, you are worshiping that artist. And again, it's natural. Like, that's what we do. Matter of fact, I was watching a, a TikTok the other day of a little girl crying her eyes out because uh, she was watching Disney on ice and the little, the, the Disney princess is singing Let It Go. And she's, uh, I'm like, you know, that's not the real, it's a cartoon. That's a lady in a bad wig, right? But she's like losing it. He's like, oh, let it go. She's singing my song. Why? Because that's worship. Right? It's a response to something you deeply care for, you deeply love. And we all do that. Like, again, I just think about y'all ever see, like, I like watching it sometimes on social media. Like, when, when guys are watching their favorite sports team and it loses and they, like, break their television, you know what I mean? Like, they chuck something at it and you're like, oh my God, it's not that serious. But it is to them. Like, it's on that level where it'll ruin your life if something is, or, or like when you're watching artists and you're crying because of what that artist is going through and it's like, you know that artist still has like $40 billion and they're sleeping way better than you and it's like, 
I know what you I know, but they just got to break up. It's like their 17th marriage, guys. I don't think they're good at it. Like, maybe they should stop getting married. Like, like so, so we all have a level of worship. So all of us intrinsically know how to worship. That's never the issue. The issue is never, I don't know how to worship. I don't know, you know, what I'm supposed to do. You will naturally worship. The question is, where are you directing your worship? Okay? All of us worship... Maybe, though, your worship isn't being directed to the thing it should be directed to, or at least the main thing it should be directed to. You see, we were built to worship, and our intrinsic worship should be directed at the one who created us to worship. At least first and foremost. Ain't nothing wrong with having a favorite band and having a favorite team and watching a show, and all those are fine within context. But when those things start to take worship away from your worship for God, or when those things begin to get worship more at a higher level, at a higher priority, with more intensity than you ever worship God, then what you do is you elevate that thing or that situation above God. And that's when it starts to become a problem because that is not what you were designed to do. You were designed to worship God. That's why we have that in us. And so I want to talk to you about something in the book of Genesis. If you have your Bibles, I want to look at the book of Genesis in Genesis chapter 22. And there's a man in there named Abraham. Now, Abraham is a legend in the Bible. Uh, he's a legend in the uh, Jewish culture. Abraham is considered uh, Father Abraham. And one of the things he's the father of, not just many nations, but he is the father of faith. Like, Abraham is known to have had faith. There are so many aspects of his life. Abraham had an encounter with God. God told Abraham, I want you to leave the land that you grew up in, and I want you to go to a place that I'm going to tell you about. Didn't even tell him where he's going. Just said, hey, I'm going to let you know when you go. Abraham followed. He told Abraham and his wife, hey, I know you're 100 years old, but you and your wife are going to have a baby. His wife laughed. That's impossible. I'm way too old. God's like, what you laughing about? Gave them a baby. I mean, God just kept doing miracles after miracles in Abraham's life. And Abraham kept being faithful, even though he would fail from time and again. He would remain faithful to God and he would trust God and he would be led by God. And then comes the ultimate test in Genesis 22. Right, So God tests Abraham a little bit when he tells him to leave the place he's from. That's, that's, that's a test of faith for sure. And then God tests him again when he tells him, hey, I'm going to bless you with a child. Even though you're old in age, I'm going to bless you with a child. And that can be another test. But then specifically here in Genesis 22, we see God testing Abraham's faith again. Listen to what it says, verse 1 through 13. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey, and he took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set it out for a place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there. Remember that part. And then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood of the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders, where he himself carried the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked together. Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where's the sheep for the burnt offering? 
God will provide the sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called from him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on that boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in its horns in the thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Here the Bible tells us that God is specifically testing Abraham. Now, I wanted you to pick up on something that I noticed as I was doing a little bit of my research Abraham is faithful. He does what, or he's getting ready to do what God tells him to do. And he packs up everything and he gets a couple of his servants to help. And he starts going on his journey with Isaac. And if you notice, there's a portion where it says right here, uh, he got up the next day, saddled his donkey. Abraham told the servants, the boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there. Uh, as I was doing my research and, and studying a little bit, one thing that I picked up on is this is the first time in the Bible where the word worship is ever used. It's not necessarily the first act of worship, but it's the first time that word is used. And as I was just looking at this and just giving it kind of a, an overview, I thought, man, there is so much more to worship than music. And I think sometimes uh, we mistakenly limit worship to the songs we sing for the 25 minutes we get to church before the preaching starts. Or we limit worship to putting on our favorite worship CD or our favorite worship album on Spotify or music or whatever platform you use. We put that album on and that we equate to worship, right? Or worship is when we're in the car, we got that playlist going, our worship playlist, and we run through that and we think, all right, I did my worship. The problem is music is simply an expression of worship. It's not worship in and of itself. And we need to be able to make that differentiation because a lot of times what we're really doing is we're not worshiping. We're just hearing somebody else worshiping. And you yourself are not engaging in active worship. See, worship is so much more than a song, right? You can sing a song in worship. That's great. That's an aspect of worship, but it's not worship in and of itself. It would be the same thing for those of you who love music. You understand that just one genre of music does not encapsulate all of music. That music is so diverse in so many different ways. And really, a lover of music has to be a lover of all types of genre of music. Because if you're like, yo, I love music. Like, what kind of music? Only this kind. Well, you don't love music. You love a genre of music. Because a real lover of music can appreciate almost any genre of music. You may not be the biggest fan of this one or that one, but shoot, if you ever go on a road trip with me and the boys, y'all know, man, I got some diversity in my playlist, right? I just get like, all right, we, get, we got some hip-hop going for a little bit. We got some old-school 90s R&B. Got a little bit of country because I like a little bit of, you know, take me home, right? I like, I like a little bit of country, especially when you're on the road in Illinois. You need a little bit of country so nobody do nothing to you. You know, you roll up to the gas station, they hear you playing country, but oh, he all right. We ain't gonna mess with him, right? So I, I like diversity. I like to have split. But if I were to say, no, no, all music is this, then I misunderstand what music is. In the same way, if you say all worship is this and done in this way, then you, you, you're missing it. Because worship isn't just contemporary worship music from Maverick City or from Hillsong or from whatever band you like. 
Worship isn't only gospel music. Worship, I mean, you look all around the world, people worship to all types of People worship with no music on. Why? Because worship is more than just the expression of it. Right? Worship really is a test. It's a test of you. And so if you're taking notes, I wrote down a few things that I want you to kind of look at that I'm seeing in Abraham that I think we can learn from when it comes to worship. Number one is this. Worship is a test of obedience. Worship is a test of obedience. Notice, God told Abraham to take his son Isaac to be sacrificed. This was not a suggestion. It wasn't like God was like, hey, man, Abraham, if you maybe got some time today, and if it's not too big of a deal, would you kind of maybe feel like getting your son? And, and I mean, I don't want to, you know, God's not Midwestern. He's not like, oh, you know, maybe, oops, sorry, if you can, uh, please. You know, God's like, nah, I'm God. I'm telling you to do something. God is always worthy of your praise and your worship because of his very nature. So again, here's the problem. This is where we're not obedient. Because a lot of us, we can worship God, even if it's just in music, when we're in the mood to do it or when we feel like God is worthy of it. We won't say it out loud like that. But what we do is a lot of times when we feel like God hasn't held up his end of the bargain or he's not doing things the way we want him to do it or he's not answering prayers the way we want to answer it, somehow then we withhold our worship from God. And what you do when you withhold your worship from God is you're saying, well, you're not worth it right now. So maybe prove yourself a little bit and then I'll give you a little bit of worship. We treat God like he's working on tips. Well, you know, the service was kind of eh today, so I ain't gonna give you 15%. Maybe I'll give you 9%, right? And, and God doesn't work on tips. God is by his very nature as God, always worthy of praise and worship. As a matter of fact, look what the Bible says in Luke chapter 19, verse 38 through 40. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Jesus was walking into the town, right? This is getting ready to, to come to the time where he'd be captured, but he has this kind of procession into the town. He's riding this beautiful little colt and he's going into the town and, and everyone starts bursting into cheer and giving him praise. And the Pharisees are like, no, 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 tell them to stop. And I love what Jesus says. Listen, I could tell them to stop. But even if the people stop worshiping me, all of nature would rise up and worship me. Why? Because God is always worthy of worship. As a matter of fact, if you take this verse a little bit further in its context, when he says the rocks will cry out, it's not like the rocks will be like, oh, Lord, you're so good. The rocks are going, what is wrong with you that you are not worshiping him? Are you insane? Do you realize who's walking through the streets right now? If y'all ain't going to do it, we're going to do it. Out of almost fear, because it's like, dude, you don't get who you're looking at right now. You don't get who's walking through this room right now. And so the rocks will cry out because they're fearful that you don't. Why? Because God's always worthy of worship. No matter what's going on in your life, that doesn't eliminate God's worth of worship. Right? And I've used this example in the past, but I think it always works well. How many of you have ever worked in your life? You ever did a little part-time job or you did a little something for somebody? All right. <laughs> and, and I remember, listen, I've done some hard labor work. I remember one time unloading when I was like 13 years old. Had to unload an 18-wheeler truck. 4,000 pieces. Each piece was 45 pounds. Y'all, I was dusty by the end of that thing. I was hurt. And I was getting paid $5 an hour because I'm old and that was the rate. <laughs> 
okay? Now listen, imagine you work your 40 hours, you know, you're doing all this hard labor. Uh, it's, it's borderline inappropriate what they got you working at. And then at the end of this work cycle, you go to your boss all excited because you've been adding up your little check. You forgot about FICA, but that's okay. You added up your little check. You think you know what you're going to get. And you go to your boss super excited like, hey, man, pay me. And the boss goes, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. My wife was mad at me this morning and my kids were being kind of funny. And I don't know, man, stuff's just been going a little rough in my life. And I just don't feel like paying you today. Oh, you got the money? Yeah, yeah, I just, just don't feel like it. How many of y'all be like, hey, hey, Steve, that's, that's all right, buddy. Like, yeah. Whenever you want, pay me when you want, pay me when you want. Nah, are you kidding me? You'd be like, hey, Steve, my man, I don't care about your life. <laughs> pay me. <laughs> I don't care what's happening. You got my money? Because that's not your money anymore. That's my money. I earned that money. We had a deal. I did my part of the deal. Where's my money, Steve? Right? That's how you would react with that. Well, listen, God's looking at you going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Am I not worthy of your praise? Oh, I'm sorry. I know you're having a bad day, but am I not worthy of your worship? Did I not give you free salvation? Have I not been there every turn? Have I not done enough for you in your life? All of a sudden, because I didn't do that one thing, I didn't get you to the school you wanted to get into because I know what's going to happen if you did go to that school and I'm protecting you from the things to come that all of a sudden I'm not worthy anymore? I'm sorry, I'm still worthy. So give me my worship. All right, now again, God's loving and graceful and I am not God because if I was, y'all would be in hell already. I'm not God. <laughs> But who are we to withhold our worship from God just because we had a bad day or just because God's not doing what we want him to do? Listen, uh, here's something I believe you might want to write this down. The presence of God demands the praise of God. The presence of God demands the praise of God. Yo, if I walk in a room and people are worshiping, I don't care if it's children's ministry with the two-year-olds, or if it's Sunday morning with the adults, we worshiping? Yo, we worshiping. Let's go. Right? Because here's what I've come to understand, and I've said this for years, and I've always believed it. The two most important times in your life to worship are when you feel like it and when you don't. The two most important times to worship in your life are when you feel like it and when you don't. Why? Because it's a test of obedience. Will you worship me? Not just when you don't feel like it. Or not just when you do, but when you don't. Second thing I notice in Abraham's life is worship is a test of trust. It's a test of trust. Think about this. God is asking Abraham to sacrifice possibly the most important thing in his life. God is asking Abraham to sacrifice the very promise that God gave him. But what you got to understand about Abraham is Abraham trusted God so much that Abraham thought to himself, if God asked me to kill Isaac, then God will just bring him back to life. Like that's the kind of faith and trust he had in God because he knew who God was at this point. See, we can worship God because we trust in him. We trust in his goodness. We trust in his faithfulness. We trust in his love and his mercy. So even though things don't seem to be going well at the moment, God's track record tells you you could still worship him. 
yeah, but you don't understand. My family is nuts and my parents are fighting and my dad left the house and my brother and sister are going crazy and, my, and I got this issue and I got that issue. And it's like, hey, listen, I get it. I get it. I get it doesn't seem like the kind of time to worship. But trust me, God's worth it. God's still worthy of worship. You may not see it right now, but God can still be worshiped. Why? Because I trust him. Listen, Psalm chapter 40, verse 4 through 5 says, Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord, who have no confidence in the proud or in those who worship idols. Oh, my Lord, my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. If I try to recite all the wonderful deeds, I will never come to the end of them. Again, it's easy to trust God and worship him after he's come through with the thing that you needed. Abraham trusted God, even though what God was asking him was crazy. Can I take it a step further? Because remember, he says to his servants, you stay here, we will go and worship. Isaac was trusting God too. I think when you read this story, it's easy to misunderstand because Abraham father, and you think Isaac's son, that somehow in our minds, we think Isaac's like six years old. Most scholars believe Isaac was like in his early 30s, late 20s. Isaac was like a man. He had a, like probably had a beard, all right? <laughs> so when the Bible says that Isaac laid down on the wood and Abraham tied him up, you have to understand this was something Isaac was willingly doing. He trusted his earthly father and he trusted his heavenly father. And he willingly laid down and was about to allow himself to be sacrificed. You really don't think Isaac, a 29, 30-year-old man, couldn't defeat a 127-year-old dude? You don't think he can outpower his dad? Easy. No problem. But what he's saying is, if this is what God is asking of us, Father, I trust you. Heavenly Father, I trust you. I'll lay down. This is huge. Abraham trusted God. Isaac trusted God. Even though Abraham must have been feeling a whole bunch of emotions, even though Isaac must have been feeling a whole bunch of emotions, they trusted God so much that they would worship him with their greatest sacrifice. Listen, do you trust God enough to worship him even when everything doesn't seem to be going the way it should be? Do you trust God enough to be able to lift up holy hands, to cry out, to declare his goodness when it doesn't feel good? See, they did it up until the point where they were even willing to be sacrificial. I think that's the third thing we need to notice is that worship is a test of sacrifice. Throughout the Bible, worship was an act of sacrifice. It had to cost you something, right? It has to cost you something. I remember uh, my wife and I, we were, uh, we were getting engaged. She would tell me like what she wanted in a ring. I'm doing my research. Now, here's what you got to understand about my wife. My wife does not, uh, she doesn't need flashy things in life, but she doesn't realize that she likes expensive things. So she's like, oh, I just want something simple like this and this and this. And then I went and did my research. I'm like, sweetie, that's expensive stuff. So I don't know, I just saw it on, you know, I just saw it on a magazine, I just saw it on, online. It's like, yeah, yeah, no, they're really expensive. <laughs> well, you don't have to do all that. You can, I don't even need anything big. You can just do it. And genuinely, Sicily did not care what the ring looked like. She didn't care. She, she didn't care if it had diamonds. She didn't know anything about it. Now, listen, I grew up with three sisters. I know color, clarity, cut. I can pick it out. I know what it's supposed to be like. I know if it's not good. I know what it's worth. I know you can get away with a .75 other than a one-point diamond, and nobody can tell the difference, but it's about $800 difference. I got that on lock, okay? I knew what I was talking about. 
And she was like, no, you don't need to do all that. You don't need to do all that. And what I tried to tell her is, and what you don't understand is it's not about you. Because every time somebody looks at your ring, they're not thinking about you. They're thinking about me. Every time they look at your ring, they're going to be like, hmm, that's what he got you, huh? They won't say that out loud, right? Out loud, they'll be like, oh, my God, it's so beautiful. But on the inside, they're like, wow. Pastor Joey, cheap. <laughs> Pastor Joey, I'm surprised her finger's not green. That is the ugliest little thing. Ever. I'm like, no, no, no. What you got to understand, babe, is that what you have on you is a representative of how I feel towards you. And I wanted people to know the value I had for you. And so this is for me. This is my act of worship to you. Well, why am I saying all that? Because it cost me something. And can I tell you something? It means more when it costs you something. Not just financially, but even in effort. When somebody goes out of their way to do something nice for you, when you could tell that it took a lot for them to do that, it means more. It means more because you realize, man, that person really sacrificed. That person really went out of their way. When your dad works overtime week in and week out so you can have Christmas presents, those Christmas presents mean a lot more because you realize, dad, I know what you had to do to get me these. I realize what you had to go through to provide this for me. When your mom is working overtime and she's doing all this stuff at home and she's trying to make sure you got a good hot meal and a place to sleep, there's a party that appreciates it more because you understand, mom, you sacrificed for this. Well, listen, what kind of worship are we giving God that doesn't cost us anything? See, worship has to be sacrificial. When you see really the first act of worship with Cain and Abel, Right, sons of Adam and Eve, the Bible says that they both gave a sacrifice to God. But Cain ends up killing Abel because Abel gave something that was sacrificial. He gave his best. And Cain just kind of gave what he had. And the Bible tells that God rejected what Cain offered and he accepted what Abel offered. And Cain was jealous and so he killed his brother. And what God is saying is, even before he killed him obviously, he's telling Cain, why are you mad? If you would have done what was right, it would have been accepted. And so here's the the thing I'm trying to get at is if your worship doesn't cost you anything, if you're not willing, well, how do I, how do I sing where it's going to cost me something on those days where you're struggling, you don't feel like it, but you push through and you sacrifice, it costs you something on those days where like, man, I got mad homework and, and I'm really struggling with this and I got to do that, but i I still want to go to church. What you're sacrificing, which by the way. Don't give me that, oh, I got a lot of homework, but you had all week to do it. And then all of a sudden, Thursday night is when you try to get it done. Oh, but Pastor, no, 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 shut up. That was due three weeks ago, and you waited till yesterday to get started. That's your fault, boo-boo. That's not on me. You better worship God. Listen, there were even rules throughout the Old Testament about the type of sacrifice that would be acceptable to God. For example, the animal couldn't have any blemish. It couldn't have any defect. It couldn't have uh, anything that would cause it to be unfavorable. Because what, what would be easy to do, remember, these are agricultural people. These are people that are living off of these animals. Is, well, no one wants to eat that one. Sacrifice that to God. But instead, they understood, no, no. We don't give God what's left. We give God what's best. And a lot of times, what we do in our worship, in our relationship with God, is we give God what's left, not what's best. That's why we tell you, do your devotional time in the morning. When you're fresh, because if you wait till night, you're really giving God leftover because you're tired, because you don't want to get into it, because you're just like, oh, what's the last thing I got to do? And why do you think you always fall asleep when you read your Bible at night? Because you had really nothing left to give God because you're giving them leftovers. 
And so we got to be sacrificial how we're doing. Now, I'm not saying you got to pay money to worship God. But when you sacrifice the things of this world for your worship to God, it speaks volumes. Listen, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14 through 15. For the world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. The life you live is just as much worship as the song you sing. The life that you live is just as much of worship as the song that you sing. Right? Who cares if you lift up holy hands in this room on a Thursday night, but Friday during the day you use those same hands to sin in every way imaginable? How how does that work? Right? And so you have to be sacrificial to a certain extent. It's not easy, but you have to be willing to sacrifice some of the things that you want for a deeper relationship with God. Yeah, but but this helps me, you know, with my nerves, or this helps me to cope with school, or yeah, I get that drugs and stuff like that might help you cope. But maybe if you sacrifice that and you trusted God, you could cope a little bit better. Well, no, you, you know, they're 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 so close to me. They're they're the one I need. They're the one I always talk to. They're they're my best friend. They're, I get that, and I'm not saying you can't have best friends. But I'm saying maybe if you sacrifice some of that time that you're spending with them and you sacrifice it so you can spend more time with God, maybe your relationship with God would deepen and you wouldn't be so dependent on people all the time. See, whatever you give to God is going to be a sacrifice from something else. Because when you say yes to God, oftentimes you're inevitably saying no to something else. And so that's the sacrifice. That's the worship. And we do that. We do that all the time, right? When, when, when we want to be with somebody, we want to spend time with somebody, we say no to other things in order to separate that time for that individual. Where your worship from God, like I said, is more than song. It's the time you spend in prayer. It's the way that you carry yourself. It's the way that you represent him in everything that you do. So if your friends at school are shocked that you're a Christian, that probably means you're not worshiping God in spirit and in truth. You're only worshiping God for the 20 minutes we're singing. And literally, that's not worship anymore. That's just Christian karaoke. Okay? Because real worship is more than a song. Real worship is how you live when you're not singing that song. It's how you carry yourself. Right? The Bible says, how can fresh water and salt water flow from the same stream? How can you worship and praise God with your lips here and then curse everybody out tomorrow with that same mouth tomorrow? And I'm not, I'm not, listen, this is me. This is, when I first started coming to Excel, I remember the pastor asking, hey, you got anything I need to pray about after we hung out one day? And I'm like, nah, man, I'm good. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't have sex. Like, I'm good. Man, the only thing is I kind of cuss, but that's just how I talk. Now, when I say I kind of cuss, I meant I cuss all day long, 24-7. Like, it just didn't, I remember thinking, like, it just sounds funny with a nice little F-bomb dropped in it. Like, everything I did had cussing in it. And I remember he's like, well, let me pray for that. So he lays hands on me. He's praying for me for the swearing. And literally as he's praying, like, this ain't going to change. It's just, this is how I talk. And then as I began to get closer to God, God began to challenge me. God began to show me, hey, I want to use your mouth to glorify me. But the problem is I can't speak through you when you're allowing that to speak through you. I can't use that vessel because I want to use a clean vessel. I want to use something holy. I want to use something purified. I want people to take you seriously when you talk. Could you imagine how seriously you would not take me if I was cussing up a storm? How many of your parents were like, yeah, we ain't going to that church no more. I'm sorry, sweetie. <laughs> so what? It took me two years. Two years of intentional effort to stop swearing. 
And it wasn't easy, and I had friends and accountability and people that would call me out, and they were very annoying and very frustrating, but man, I needed to get a hold of my tongue so that God could get a hold of my life. It took sacrifice, but I want to worship God freely, and so I had to give up every aspect of me. It's not easy, but being willing to sacrifice his greatest love, Isaac, wasn't easy for Abraham, but he was willing, mostly because It was driven by an act of love. Number four, worship is a test of love. Worship is a test of love. When you love somebody, you shouldn't ever feel obligated to do nice things for them. It should be a response to your love for them. It should be a response to your love for them. So, you know, when I get home and I'm super tired, like tonight I'm going to get home and I'm going to be super tired and, and I'm just like, uh, and my little daughters come up to me and they want to play and they want to do this whole thing. How many know I'm going to sacrifice a little bit to get them on my back and ride around horsey style? Like that's just, that's what she wants. Well, she says elephant because she's rude, but that's what we do. Like we ride around. Okay. And now I do that. Why? Not because I'm obligated but because I love her and I want her to know that I love her. What I don't want is my daughters to get used to me coming home saying, no, daddy's too tired. No, Bobby doesn't have energy for you. I want them to, when I come home, even after a long day, I want them to understand you are still a priority to me. Why? Because I love you. And love is a verb. It's not a word. It's what you do with that love. And so when we worship God, we are demonstrating that love. We're not just saying it in our song, but we're demonstrating in our life to say, God, my worship for you is a response to my love for you and a response to your love for me. When I hear that, when I know that, when I understand that, I can't help but sing a hallelujah. I can't help but lift up hands. I can't help but worship you because I love you, because you love me. And that burst out of me. And it's natural. We do it with everything. Anything you love, you cry out to, you worship to. We do it in our favorite sporting event. We do it at our favorite concert. We do it when the song comes on on the radio and everyone in the car goes, hey. Why? Because our favorite thing came on. And suddenly worship comes out of it. Why? Because I love that song. And I love that team. And I love that musician. But man, when the presence of God is in me and with me, I love God, have to worship him. You can't stop me from worshiping him. You can't prevent me from worshiping him. Listen, Psalm chapter five, verse seven, because of your unfailing love, I can enter your house. I will worship at your temple with the deepest awe. Why? It's because of your love. Here's what I would argue. If you have a hard time worshiping God, I would argue you have a hard time loving God. If you have a hard time worshiping God, I would argue you have a hard time loving God. And again, worship is more than just a song. But it doesn't matter what song is on. It doesn't matter if it's a full band with the EQ set just right and the volume on point and the notes eating all hit. It can be horrible. We got a monkey with a tambourine on stage off beat and I can still worship God. I'd be like, man, I am so impressed with that monkey. (laughs) Why? Because it doesn't matter what the instrument is. It doesn't matter what the song is. I've worshiped to some messed up songs, man. Everything's off beat. Things are scratchy. But I'm like, man, but the love of God is there. The love of God is there. And that's what's important. 
That's what God is looking at. Listen, I mentioned earlier, 